Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we conclude our study of the Gospel according to Luke with the final chapter, chapter 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he had told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. This is the chapter of Luke where we focus on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it starts with the timeline. So let's review the timeline ourselves and put it in perspective of the Jewish or Hebrew mindset, the Old Testament mindset. So in their culture, a new day began when the sun went down. This goes all the way back to Genesis 1. You might recall in the beginning, as God created, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then we read, there was evening and there was morning the first day. Notice how it starts with evening. And so the the culture that builds around this, that's their understanding of a day. So the day starts when the sun goes down. So Jesus, his well, everything with his passion really occurs on one day. We think of it as being Thursday and Friday, so it's two days in our mind. But Thursday, sundown, what's he doing? He's eating with his disciples that last meal, giving them his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. And then he goes out. So this is the beginning of a new day. He goes out to the garden. He prays. He's arrested. He's mocked. He's tried. He's tried before uh, the, the Sanhedrin. He's tried before Pilate. He's tried before Herod. He's sent back. He's flogged. He's then led up the hill to be crucified at Golgotha, the place of the skull. And he, he stays on the cross for those roughly six hours until his death in the afternoon. All of that is one day in their mind. From Thursday sundown until Friday sundown. So he dies on that day. Friday sundown would then be the start of day two. So his body's in the tomb on Thursday, Friday. His body is in the tomb for the entirety of day two, Friday, Saturday, which is the Sabbath day. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown is the day of rest. And this is the perfect rest of Christ in the tomb. Then the third day would be 
Saturday sundown until Sunday sundown. Jesus rose. Your kids can answer this question, right? What day did Jesus rise? Most of them probably say Easter, which is a good answer. Um, The church celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ on a holiday that we call Easter. Now, this means that just as Jesus' body on the first day was only in the tomb for a couple of hours, so it could also be on the third day, only a couple of hours. So we know, you know, roughly 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Good Friday he died, and then he's in the tomb 24, well, at least three hours until twilight. He's in the tomb 24 hours on Friday, Saturday, the Sabbath, and then Saturday night, any time after the sun sets on Saturday night, he could have risen from the dead. We don't know the timing of that, right? We just know it's on the third day, and it's before dawn, because when the ladies go to the tomb in the morning, they find it empty. So Jesus could have risen at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. From our perspective of things, it would still be the third day. It would still fit the chronology. So Jesus is in the tomb for at least probably 28 hours, but no more than, let's see, 27 12, no more than 39, right? Um, as that would bring you all the way until 6 a.m. So he's risen, and the women go to the tomb, right? So you can ask your children, when did Jesus rise from the dead? The women go to the tomb also in unbelief, right? We marvel at the disciples being in unbelief, not having understood these things, but note that it's the same for the women. They're not going to the tomb preparing to find their Savior risen from the dead as he told them he would. They're going to the tomb preparing to bury him. Right? They're gonna, they take the spices because his body's going to stink because he's been dead for this time. And so they need to anoint his body for a proper burial. That's the plan. But when they get there, he's not there. And the angels come, two men dressed in dazzling apparel, angels. And as is normally the case, when angels appear in the New Testament, people are terrified And so the ladies are afraid. But the angels say, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. This is it, right? This is the proclamation of Christianity. This is what sets us apart from everyone else. Our God lives. That Jesus took on flesh, he was willing to die on the cross, to suffer and die to forgive our sins, but that he did not stay dead. Christianity hinges on the resurrection. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain, and we are to be pitied above all people. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and because he lives, we live. This is why the early church had that greeting that we use in our churches during the season of Easter. Christ is risen. I really hope in your car right now or wherever you are, you just responded, he is risen indeed, hallelujah. That is a greeting that you can teach to your children. It's simple, right? Christ is risen. They respond, he is risen indeed. Or they they can say, Christ is risen. And you respond, he is risen indeed, hallelujah. It's a greeting that the church has used for centuries, for a very long time, because it is our hope, it is our joy. The angels then point to The words that Jesus spoke back in chapter 9, verse 22, how he foretold his death, but also his resurrection. Right? The disciples always seem to miss that idea. And here it's revealed. 
and they remembered his words. So also, not only do we have chapter 9 that does that, Jesus gives the sign of Jonah in chapter 11. Uh, he again will tell of his death and resurrection in chapter 18, verse 33. But chapter 9 seems to be the most fitting for the details that the angels are specifying here, that it was while they were in Galilee. Because after that, he made his journey down to Jerusalem. So the women then, having seen all of this and heard all of this, they we're not told that they run. I imagine that they're in quite a haste, right, to get to the disciples and to tell them these wondrous things. And we get the list of women, or at least some of them, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women. Mary Magdalene's the common one that you see in the gospel accounts as they record Jesus' resurrection. Mary the mother of James is hard to know who that is. There could be as many as seven different Marys in the New Testament. Part of that is because in the Greek of the New Testament, uh, there are two separate names that are similar to one another that are both translated into English as Mary. Um, essentially, probably it would be better if we were doing Mary and Maria, but eh, they all come as Mary. So are they? Are, how many of those Seven possible distinct women might actually be overlaps versus, oh, do we actually have seven different Marys in the New Testament, including, it seems like, from another account, even Mary, the mother of Jesus, that her sister was also named Mary. I don't know. Um, Mary, I believe, means bitter as a name, so it's interesting that it sees such popularity. Anyway, Mary, the mother of James... This could be one of the disciples, James, or it could be, what if it's the brother of Jesus? That would make this Mary the mother of Jesus, right? James uh, is one of the four sons mentioned in Mark chapter 3 in the list of the sons of Mary. So, hard to say. We don't know for sure. The disciples, however, don't believe their word, right? They think they're making it up. They think it's an idle tale, just busy gossip. Or perhaps worse than busy gossip, a mockery, right? Making fun of people who grieve. But Peter goes and he checks it out. And he sees things essentially as they've told him. And he goes home marveling. Next we get a, an account that is unique to Luke's gospel, the road to Emmaus is what we refer to it as. Emmaus being a village about seven miles from Jerusalem, as we have noted for us. And there's two disciples. We're not told who they are at first, and we only ever learn one of their names, Cleopas. So these are not from the Twelve, but these were followers of Christ during his time. And they're walking to Emmaus, which is an interesting note in and of itself because the Jews have gathered in the city of Jerusalem for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasts for a whole week. The feast has not ended yet. But they're leaving. They're heading for Emmaus. Now, maybe it is that Emmaus was where they were staying and they were taking this walk every day to go to Jerusalem. That would make sense, as Jerusalem would be crowded and full. And so this was as close as by as they could find a place to stay. 
Now, Jesus finds them on this road. And his eyes, their eyes are kept from recognizing him, verse 16. So this is a God act here, that they cannot see who he is. He disguises himself from them, not by wearing a, you know, a fake mustache, but by just his divine power. They are hidden from him. Their, their ability to know who he is is hidden, sorry. So he asks them what's going on. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know? Well, he knows, right? It happened to him. But Jesus is inviting them to start telling the story. This is what they've been given to do, right? As the days go on, they are to tell the story. And so they get an opportunity to start that here with Jesus as their practice audience. They don't realize that, though, and they tell him, well, they give him the details of what has happened, that a mighty prophet has been killed, that they had hoped that he would redeem Israel. And this is the problem. This is what the people had understood the Old Testament to be saying. They expected a Messiah who was a military champion. They expected someone that would be a judge, like the book of Judges. You have the 13 distinct judges who restore Israel to a time of glory out of oppression. That's what they expect the Messiah will be for them, that he's going to overthrow the Roman Empire, that he's going to set up an earthly kingdom and redeem Israel, that they will be powerful as a people again. They thought Jesus was that guy. And he wasn't. And now they're sad, but now they're confused because the women have told him them that, well, the angel said he's risen from the dead. Jesus' response is not a kind one, right? He said to them, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. And I'll just pause there, slow of heart to believe. And to call them fools is to say the same thing. Fool or wise contrasted in scripture can be a conversation about unbelief and faith. And here, these men don't have faith, right? They do not believe what the prophets have spoken. They have in mind the wrong Messiah. This is not what Jesus came to do. So Jesus, still hidden from their sight, they don't know who he is, unpacks the Old Testament for them. Over that seven-mile walk, the two disciples, Cleopas and the other, get to hear Jesus himself show how everything in the Old Testament points to him. If you're walking at a pace of three miles an hour, which is a fair steady pace, it's a two hour and 20 minute walk. They get to hear Jesus for probably the majority of that time, giving them a lesson about how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ as crucified and risen Lord and Savior of all. So this then becomes a question you can ask to your children. What's the purpose of the Bible? Why did God give us the Bible? The short and simple answer there is to point us to Christ. Everything from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, all of it is to point you to Jesus, to who he is, and to what he has done for you. Where there is law in God's word, it is so that you recognize your sin, that you know that you stand condemned. And then where there is gospel, it is so that you hear and know the good news that your sins are forgiven and that you have life in Christ. This is the good news, brothers and sisters, in Christ. So they get to Emmaus, 
Jesus pretends to be going further. They urge him to stay, and he does. Um, you know, stay with us. It is toward evening. The day is now far spent. So it could be just, you know, you're, you need rest. We have a place you can rest with us. Or um, the road's dangerous. Don't go out at night. Robbers are afoot. Not sure which purpose or intent. Maybe both things are in mind for them as they invite him to stay. And he does. He breaks bread, right? Notice the language. He took the bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to them. You want to say saying at the end of that phrase, right? It sounds like the Lord's Supper. Maybe it is. We don't know. We can't be sure. That's a maybe. If it is the Lord's Supper, uh, Jesus' words from when he institutes the Lord's Supper that he will not receive it again with, until he receives it with them in the kingdom, well, he doesn't partake of it here, right? As soon as they see this, they recognize him as Jesus and he disappears. It could be an ordinary meal. We don't know. They recognize him and they return in haste. It doesn't say that again, but the same hour, and they return to Jerusalem. Remember, they were thinking it was already dark. They didn't want Jesus going on because of the dark, so they invited him to stay. Now they're taking a two-plus-hour journey back to Jerusalem themselves. So this is important, this journey. So I'm imagining it took less than two hours because they were rushing and hurried to get back. They found the eleven, gathered together, recognizing that Christ has been raised from the dead and that he has appeared already to Simon. And so after they report that to Cleopas and the other, then Cleopas and the other report to them what just happened on the road and then at the breaking of the bread. At this, Jesus stands among them. Peace to you. They're all afraid. They think he's a spirit. He shows them instead his, his scars. Christ's resurrected, glorified body still bears the wounds. Why? Because it is an ongoing, forever reminder to us of who he is and what he did to save us. So as we get to paradise, assumedly, this is the same body of Christ that we will see, right? He has bodily ascended into heaven. I assume his scars will have remained because they are here, there. They are there, here. And we will then see Christ in paradise each and every day knowing what he's done for us. An ongoing reminder, just as we have something like water today reminding us of our baptisms. So, Jesus eats in front of them. It's one of those things to show that he's not a spirit. He shows them the scriptures again. Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Psalm 22 would be a good example. Isaiah, uh, the suffering servant songs. Um, would be good examples. 52 and 53 is an example of that. Christ would rise, and that they are going to proclaim the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This is going to be picked up on as Luke begins his second work, the Acts of the Apostles, which we tend to know is just the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you are witnesses of these things. Uh, literally, you are martyrs of these things. That word takes on the the English meaning it has because these witnesses, these martyrs, tended to get killed in the early church for their witness. So that Greek word comes into English, meaning what it does for us today. One who is killed for what they believe. Jesus instructs them to stay in the city until they're clothed with power from on high. 
Pentecost, right? Now, the ascension occurs in verse 50 through 53. Jesus blesses them. He takes them out of Jerusalem a couple miles to the east, and then he ascends. They see him go, and then they go to Jerusalem worshiping with great joy, continually in the temple blessing God. And I want to end by focusing on what we see in this a drastic shift in the disciples. Luke does not put it in this perspective, but remember from the other gospel accounts, where does Jesus find the disciples after he's risen from the dead? He finds them locked away in a house because they're afraid. They fear that the Jewish leaders will do the same thing to them that they just did to Jesus. They fear death, right? So they're hiding. They're locked away in a house. And eight days later, when Thomas appears, it's the same position, right? They're still locked away in a house. So Jesus tells them, stay in the city. Don't leave. Well, I mean, their fear would have caused them to want to run away, right? Flee Jerusalem. Get out of there. Go start afresh somewhere else. But Jesus says, no, stay in Jerusalem until what ends up being 50 days after the resurrection, right? Um, You have the the celebration of Pentecost. But in the meantime, what do they end up doing thanks to Christ's ascension, which is on day 40 after the resurrection? So the 10 days in between ascension and Pentecost here, and they spend that time continually in the temple, blessing God. So they go from fearing death at the hands of the Jewish leaders to walking right into basically the, the court of the Jewish leaders, right? The the chief priest, the scribes, the officers of the temple, they're going to spend time in the temple. So will the disciples of Jesus, praising God, worshiping God. Fear is gone. They have seen their resurrected Lord. They know the promise of Jesus that they too will live. And this is just a drastic change that will then lead into the Acts of the Apostles. And we see that fearlessness, not always, right? We're still sinners, but there's a fearlessness that comes from knowing that if, if you are imprisoned for Christ, you are blessed. If you are killed for Christ, you are with him in paradise. This is good news. This is yours in Christ. Amen. Let us praise the Word incarnate, Christ who suffered in our place. Jesus died.